everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. I'm your host, Celine Chenoy. Thank you to all of you who return every week to tune in to become a better version of yourself. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already, and rate our show if you enjoyed this episode. At this time of massive global challenge, many of us wonder, where is God in all of this? If there really is God, why is our world such a mess? And why doesn't a supreme being fix it? My guest, Neil Donald Walsh, suggests that if humanity wishes to solve its problems, we need a brand new definition of God that generates a new global ethic. He's here to tell us more about this much-needed paradigm shift. Neil Donald Walsh has written 39 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life, including the nine-book Conversation with God series. His titles have been translated into 37 languages. Neil presents online retreats and lecture programs for persons around the world, focused on what he calls the most important question facing humanity today. Today's discussion is centered on the themes covered in his latest book, The God Solution, which invites humanity to embrace a new global ethic based on a refined and clarified definition of God. Neil will share his wisdom on what it takes to birth a shift of spiritual paradigms around the globe to produce peace and happiness on our planet at last. Hello, Neil. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderfully. I hope you are as well, and it's lovely to be here with you. How may I serve you? Well, I just, first of all, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with us today. I love your work and everything that you stand for, so I'm truly honored to have you with us. Well, it's an honor to share this time with you as well, since both of us are individuations of divinity. I feel the honor just as you do. So thank you for the opportunity. In what way may I be of service to you? So uh, today, uh, I would love to talk to you about your new book, The God Solution, The Power of Pure Love, which was a delight to read, I have to say. And uh, I would like to start a conversation, Neil, by discussing your intention in writing this book. Um, of course, you're renowned for the Conversation with God series. And I'm just curious to know what inspired you to write this particular book and which specific issues do you hope to bring to light by, by writing this? Uh, what, what inspired me to write it was uh, my observation that humanity was facing a really enormous problem, that our problems have not been diminished through the years, but, um, but in fact have increased uh, in the past 30 or 40 years. Our global problems, social problems, economic problems, even you know, uh, conflict that we're experiencing—just just extraordinary global challenges. And I think that um, when I looked at that, I thought, okay, I need to address the issue head on. I need to talk not in terms of you know, not a, not, not another dialogue book where there's questions and answers that go on for many many pages but just a really concise statement of what the issue is, 
and, and uh, how we could solve the problem that we're facing, which is why I wound up calling it the God Solution. And what I've become clear about, Celine, is that um, humanity is facing an enormous challenge uh, having to do with its own behavior. We, we, you know, we, not only do we not know how to take care of our own planet, we can't figure out a way to get along. We can't even figure out a way to get along with each other. If it's, if, if the other person has a different political point of view from ours, a different economic status, a different nationality, a different skin color, a different religion, a different uh, philosophy, a different sexual orientation. If there's something other than the way we are, we want nothing to do with them. But it's worse than that. Not only do we want nothing to do with them, we start attacking them verbally, and in some cases, even physically. Mm-hmm. So we we haven't found a way to get along with each other on a planet that, that claims to be evolving, but appears to be devolving. You know, I'm an older person, Celine. I'm going to be 80 years old here in about five or six weeks. And, and uh, I saw us treating each other from person to person, nationality to nationality, economic group to economic group, and so forth, better 50 years ago than I do now. When I was you know, 25 years old, we were not saying the kinds of things we're saying to each other now. Yes. And, and not, not doing some of the things that we're doing to each other now. I don't know what's happened to us, but we, you know, we now call, you know, I don't know how it is in your country, but in the United States, we now call verbal bullying and outright insults, we call that political leadership. Our political candidates are insulting each other, not simply you know, announcing their political disagreements, but insulting each other as individuals, as human beings. And it's not, frankly, just in the United States. We're seeing this kind of thing it's going everywhere. on all over the world. Yeah. So I thought to myself, okay, what's the issue? What is the problem? And what could we do to change it? And here's, here's, you're going to be surprised by my answer. But the answer that I received when I asked that question of myself, I thought, oh, the problem is we are all judgmental, condemning, and punishing. We judge each other. We're very judgmental of each other. If we don't agree with the other person, we condemn them. And, and if we condemn them, we then punish them in whatever way of punishment is available to us. In some cases, it's actually dropping bombs yeah. and killing thousands of people. In other cases, it's economic, you know, economic uh, punishment, economic warfare, if you please. And many other ways that we punish each other from society to society, from group to group, from race to race, from religion to religion, from culture to culture. And you know why we do that? We do that because... This is going to, this is where the surprising uh, aspect of this comes in. We do this because this is the way we think that God behaves with us. You know, most people don't know it, but anthropologists have taken surveys in the past uh, 15 years or so 
in other words, we're not talking about 80 years ago or 20 years ago, but in the past eight or 10 years, sociologists have taken a one-question survey. They've only asked one question. In most of the nations of the world, just out of curiosity's sake, they asked a single question. The question was, do you believe in a higher power? And they asked people on the street everywhere, from Saigon to Paris, from Los Angeles to Tokyo, a simple question, do you believe in a higher power? 85% of the people responded yes. So it turns out that most human beings believe in some sort of higher power. They may not know what it is. They may not know how it works. They may not know what it wants. They may not know what it does if it doesn't get what it wants, if it wants anything. But they do believe there's, you know, there's more going on here than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. There's a higher power. But what we be so what we because eighty five percent of us believe in a higher power, what the largest number of us think about that higher power, is not going to be insignificant. And the largest number of people on the planet, Celine, who believe in higher power, believe that the higher power loves us for sure, but uses love as a justification for judging, condemning, and punishing us. And so we do the same. Because, by the way, the world's religions teach us that we should emulate God, if you believe in God at all. If you don't believe in God, of course, the, the question is off the table. But if right. you do believe in some kind of higher power, then we should be emulating that higher power. We should be acting with each other in a divine way to the extent that we as humans possibly can. And in fact, we are. We are absolutely imitating with others the way we believe God treats us, the way we believe God behaves with us. Now, the question becomes, what if we're wrong about that? What if, in fact, God is not judgmental, condemning, and punishing? What if God, what if we've misunderstood God all these years? What if there's more to know on this subject? You know, I, I want to share something with you for canceling. Sure. We have done something in every area of our life that's important to us, mm-hmm. except one. We've done it in science. We've done it in medicine. We've done it in technology. But we have refused to do it in theology, in our understanding of our sacred truths. And what is it we've done in every other area? Not question Qu- God, right? Like Qu- question, question the, the prior assumption. Yeah. We have, we have, we have refused to question the prior assumption. We do it in science all the time. Mm-hmm. As soon as a scientist has a, a discovery, mm-hmm. she be- begins to question of the prior assumption to make sure that she's you know clear about it and has it right and so forth. And we do the same thing in medicine and technology. But when it comes to theology, we're still trying to solve today's problems with the answers that were given to us thousands and thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. And we refuse to question the prior assumption, the assumption being that God is judgmental, condemning, and punishing. Just out of curiosity, what if we're wrong about that? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I proposed in the book called The God Solution that what we can do to solve humanity's problems is to create a new definition of the highest power. Yes. A new definition of God. Right. And I've come up with a, with a two-word definition. 
we decided that God is pure love. love. Yeah, love that. Not and not just love, but pure love. Because you know, if I just say God is love, everyone agrees. You know, some some guy when I when I say this in, in front of an audience, some guy gets up in the back of the room. Oh, Neil, 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 come on! I've listened to you for twenty minutes to have you tell me your great revelation of the moment is that God is love. Everybody knows that. Even religions that disagree on doctrine, they all agree that God is love. Correct. And I have to say to my person in the back of the room, "Whoa, whoa, relax! I didn't say that. Yeah, that's not what I said. I said God is pure love." Now my friend in the back of the room will say, okay, what's the difference? Yeah. The difference is that pure love needs, expects, requires, and certainly demands nothing in return. Nothing in return for the love that we receive. Celine, we can't even love the person on the pillow next to us that way. Much less can we imagine a God who loves us that way. Yes. But the God solution is for us to, in fact, embrace a behavior that reflects the way God loves us. That God needs nothing from us. It's the highest power. In fact, it is the higher power. It's the highest power. And God needs, expects, requires, demands nothing from us. To be perfectly joyous and perfectly happy. Neil, could you give us an example of how pure love can manifest itself? Because we understand that in theory, but I think people would appreciate a more a, 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 like a tangible example of like what pure love looks like? I know you've mentioned it in the book, but for those listening, like how well, does and, pure love and, express and, itself? And, and, not, and not very many people may have read the book. Yes. So we're going to make it should. possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and, and I'm going to make it possible for anyone who wants to, to read the book to read it for free uh, before this program is over. Okay. I'm going to share a link where they can read the book at no cost because I want everyone to read that book. But now to answer your question directly, a tangible example, we enter into our relationships with each other. Even people who are deeply in love enter into relationships the way, how would I put it, the way nations enter into relationships with each other. We have a trade deal. We think that relationships are basically a quid pro quo or a trade deal. This for that. I'll give you this, you give me that. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll trade you what I have to offer you. Apparently, you found it attractive, or you wouldn't be in love with me. And you can trade me what, what you can offer me, which I have found attractive, or I wouldn't be in love with you. And I don't mean just your physical appearance, but all the things that make you a special person you are. So you give me you know my portion of that, and I'll give you your portion of you know what I have to offer, and we can have a wonderful relationship. And that's how people establish their relationships. I'm not making this up. I've observed this, incidentally. I'm not talking from the mountaintop. Yeah. I've observed this in myself. This is the way I experienced relationship in my 20s, 30s, 40s, and even in the beginning of my 50s. I didn't understand 
you know, and, and I used to send to my beloved ladies in my life because I had more than one, sorry to say. I mean, was, I was a serial monogamist, but I had, you know, a series of ladies in my life. And I would send them these wonderful Valentine's Day cards on Valentine's Day, which in the United States is a big deal. It's the day of love, you know, <laughs> February 14th, Valentine's Day. And I would send them a card, my darling, my dearest, my beloved. I trade you very much. And I want you to know that I will never stop trading you. I will trade you until the end of time. But if you stop trading me, the deal is off. Because I got to get from you what I need from you. That's why do you suppose I created a partnership with you? And so a tangible example is that we go through life asking for needing nothing in return. Now, you know what's interesting? Yeah. Most people do know how to do this when it comes to their sexual experiences. I mean, you know, when we go into that kind of a moment with someone we love, Hopefully, 95% of the people don't do it with huge expectations. This is what's required. This is what you've got to do. Otherwise, I'm not going to be happy. Mm -hmm. Most of us have enough emotional maturity to just be there for the other person, actually. We're there for the other person because we love them, and we're sharing this intimate moment out of our love for the other person, really truthfully requiring nothing in return. And when we require nothing in return... Blessed, glorious things happen. Yes. But once we get out of the bedroom and walk into the kitchen and get into the living room and get in the front seat of the car and move through the rest of our life, that understanding of how to love each other very often disappears. What do you mean you, 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 there's no dinner tonight? You're supposed to, you, I, I work hard every day. I come home every day. You're supposed to have dinner on the table when I come home. Yeah. What do you mean? So we have these expectations of each other, and they're not small expectations. They can sometimes be very large expectations because that's how we think that love works. It's a trade deal. Yeah. And I think society is also built that way. Everyone has that, of course that, it that is. transactional mentality. So the question is, how do we come from a place of pure love and still function and still manage in a society that has that kind of... People have done it. How do we do it? Yeah. You follow the example of those who have already done it. It's not like that, that question hasn't been answered. And I'm not talking about having that question answered in the past couple of weeks or the past couple of months or the past couple of years You know, in, in contemporary times. That question was answered thousands of years ago. Yeah. Moses answered the question. Muhammad, bless his holy name, answered the question. Buddha answered the question before either one of them. Jesus answered the question. It was really very simple. Do unto others as you would have it done unto you. It's ridiculously simple. And every great spiritual master, male and female through the years, Catherine of Geneva, read the writings of Julian of Norwich, read the writings of Elizabeth of Hungary, read the writings of Buddha, read the writings of any of those who we have, all. by the way, what's interesting is we've already acknowledged that they are masters. Mm -hmm. We've said these are the masters that we believe, you know, 
have shown us the way. We're simply not going to do what they're suggesting. We honor them as masters, but we throw out or twist and turn their messages. And so the answer to your question is simply step into the model that's already been given to us by so many spiritual masters who have come along mm -hmm. in our life on this planet. Behave as if you were divine. By the way, the first step in that process, if you really thought you were divine, that is an aspect of divinity, not that I'm God. Of course, I should clarify for your audience to understand, I actually am God. <laughs> but as long as you are clear that I know that. But, but I think they understand. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I say act as if you're God, I mean that we are all aspects. Yeah, we have the or, divinity within us. Yes. Yeah. We are all singularizations of divinity. Mm -hmm. But all we have to do is act that way. Mm -hmm. Even when people anger us, even when people slight us, even when people do not give us what we thought we were going to get from them in the trade deal that we organized, even then, in, in fact, I want to say, my dear, especially then, yeah. especially mm -hmm. when the other person has let us down. Yes. That's where we have the opportunity to rise above all of that behavior yeah. from others and to step into our divinity. Now, if everyone decided to do that, the world's social, economic, political problems would end overnight. Now, when I talk this way, people say, oh, Neil, that's true, of course, but, but it's too much to expect of human beings. We can't possibly get to that level. If we could get to that level, we would, but we can't which is the big lie, the big misunderstandings. I want to repeat, human beings, I mean, actual people on this planet have done it. I'm not suggesting something that no one's ever done. We are aware that hundreds and hundreds of people have behaved that way through the years, even in this present time. We know of people who are behaving in that way. The Dalai Lama could very well be one of them, just to use an example that comes to mind. And there are many other people living on the planet right now. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, well, Neil, you're asking too much of us. No. The problem is that we're not asking enough of ourselves. Yeah. And I, I love the fact that you made it made this accessible by talking about how we should be conscious of the emotions that we have. Um, you write that emotion produces an energetic sensation that creates far more impact on a person's body. And if felt strong enough, it projects into that person's exterior environment. So you, you propose that staying awake and being conscious of the emotions we're experiencing every day, um, just by doing that, we can reduce the unconscious uh, creation you know, that we generate into the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, profoundly, that is profoundly true. Oh. And most people don't realize the power of the energetic projection that proceeds from them in every moment of our lives. I mean, e even tone of voice. I I'm, you know, people who live with somebody else, like again, I and I've been married for many years now, and I can tell you from my wife's tone of voice, she does, it's not even what she's saying, it's how she's saying it. 
So I mean, and, and that, that's a common experience. We've all had that that experience. Mm-hmm. So we 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 actually recognize that is we recognize that is we know again to recognize is to know again. So we we are cognizant once again of of all the information we've been given from the beginning. We understand that nobody has to tell us these things. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is respond from the place of wisdom within us. So when I hear a particular tone of voice proceeding from my wife, don't you know that I pay attention? And then I listen to myself and I say, okay, what is the best way to respond to this tone of voice? And of course, then I just yell and scream and holler and slam the door and Make her feel as horrible as I can possibly make her feel. That's what I. That's what I do. <laughs> that's what most people do. Some version of that. And I, you know, and I, I did. To be honest, to stop kidding around for a minute, I try to make light of it. But you know what, Sunny? For the first thirty-five years of my adult life. That's exactly what I did. Some version of that, I would meet fire with fire. I would throw back at the other person what they were throwing at me. If their tone of voice wasn't pleasant and kind and generous and compassionate with me, I would emulate that and mirror that back to them. And I I did that for, for the first 35 or 40 years of my adult life. Until I finally realized one day, oh, you know what? This isn't working. I've had a series of broken relationships in my life. I mean, I've been married more than once, as you may know. But Well, actually, I've been married more than twice, as you may know. So I've had, well, actually, I've been married more than three times. So, as you may know, I understand about, well, actually, I've been married more than four times. So when we move into these discussion of relation, wait a minute, let me just check something on my computer here. <laughs> oh, I've been married more than more than five times. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I've been you married gotta, more you than get, six. You've got to compete with Elizabeth Taylor now. <laughs> I've been married more than six times. Oh, I, I, let me see. My gosh, I've been married. I don't mean six or seven girlfriends. I mean put a ring on their finger and promise to love them forever. I've been married seven times. I'm not bragging. I'm using myself as worst case example. But at least finally, as I approach 80, they figured out what's going on. Because, you know, I... I'm a nice person. I used to think even even 35, 40, 50 years ago, I thought I was a nice person. And I am a nice person. We're all nice people. At heart, we are all good people. But we simply haven't had the courage, the strength, the power, the commitment, the dedication, the awareness, the understanding, the clarity to demonstrate who we really are. Every action, every word, every energy that comes from us, Selene, emanates or originates from either fear or love. It's quite simple. 
when we decide to never again say anything or do anything that comes from fear, our whole life changes virtually overnight. And if humanity as a collective decided to emulate that behavior, our human-made problems would dissolve. And that comes from that new global ethic that gets generated when you have that new definition of God that you propose. Yes, because this is the way God behaves with us. God doesn't punish us or judge us or condemn us. You know, I often I often think to myself, and I ask other people who believe in God, this is interesting, do you believe in an eternal life? And interestingly enough, most people who believe in God do believe in some kind of eternal life. It's either going to be life of reward or punishment. But it's going to be eternal. But if we do the wrong thing, we'll be spending eternity in Hades, or hell, if you please. And if we do the right thing, which is defined by God, if we do what God wants, and by the way, that changes from religion to religion. <laughs> but if we do what we hope that we're right about what God wants, then we'll wind up spending eternity in heaven. So it's really very simple. It's a reward and punishment universe. But what if it's not? Because, you know, how long are we here? Compared to eternity, how long is a lifetime? Rel using relative dynamics. If we compare our life to eternity, it's like punishing someone for a million years for a mistake they made for 30 seconds. I mean, relatively speaking, is that is that celestial justice? Not at all. So, I mean, so why would why would any deity, much less the God that we say loves us, do something like that, even if we were exhibiting the worst behavior? Wouldn't God say, you simply didn't understand? And I'm going to give you another chance. We're going to call it reincarnation. And we're going to let you become physical again. And again, and again, and again. Until you find a way to understand who you really are and to demonstrate that in your experience. Right. I could, of course, be wrong about all of this. I don't think so. Yeah, and I like the fact that you say that God is is an empowering figure versus someone who punishes us and judges us. I mean, that is such a shift, a big shift. Yes, and shift happens. I keep telling people <laughs> wherever I go. Yes. Hey, guys, you got to understand. It's refreshing because a lot shift of shift happens. Yes, yes, yeah. Because a lot of people are, especially younger generations, they are feeling jaded and skeptical when it comes to all things religion. Um, and and how, how can you blame them for feeling skeptical yeah, the when they realize? Yeah. Well, and when they realize what religion has done to us, right? By the way, not not many people know that there are right now today. 4,226 religions being practiced on the face of the earth. I didn't make that number up. Go to Google and just type in the question, how many religions are there on the earth? Not how many religions have there been from the beginning of time, being practiced right now. Oh, does that include the... 4,200 religions. Like indigenous religions and sh yes. shamanism. Yeah, yeah, faith traditions. Faith, faith traditions. Faith traditions, okay. 
Yeah, absolutely. 4,000 faith traditions being practiced on the planet right now. So this is not an unimportant uh, topic, not an unimportant thing to understand, because everyone is <laughs> behaving according to the way their beliefs tell them they should behave. You know, that's why I see bumper stickers more more often than I ever did before. Bumper stickers that say, God, save me from your people. Okay. God, save me from your people. More violence and wars have been conducted on this planet in the name of God than for any other single reason. That's an historical fact. I didn't make that up. So God save me from your people is a wonderful prayer. Until we could begin to understand who we really are, and here's the key, Selena, who we really are in relationship with each other. Because the point of the conversations with God messages and the point of the book, The God Solution, is that we are all one. There really is no separation between us. There are differences for sure. When I look at you, I see differences from me as the French would say, vive la différence. But I don't see someone who is separate from me. And individuation is not separation. The fingers on my hand are individual. They all look different, behave differently, have different functions, feel differently. But they're not separate from each other. They're all part of the same hand. And the hand is part of the same body. We are all fingers on the hands of God. If we understood that, to repeat, everything would change overnight. It's as simple as that. We simply eliminate the idea, the notion, the belief in separation. Einstein told us this, and so has every other scientist who's looked at it closely. Everything is connected. All things are one thing. Everything is interconnected. Nothing is utterly separate from anything else. We're all star we, stuff, right? We're all star stuff. That's what Carl, yeah, Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan. Uh, Carl Sagan, yes. Yeah. I love, I love Carl Sagan's yeah, words. He's so, yeah. so clear. Mm -hmm. He's so clear. So, we're all the same stuff. And now if, if I treat you the way I want to be treated, the differences between us would not create conflict. Contrast does not have to create conflict. Differences do not have to create divisions. You know, these are the kinds of things we tell our children when they're three, five, and eight years old in school. 
we try to teach them this. But even the eight-year-olds are smart enough to look at the behaviors of the adults who are telling them this. Yeah. And they've got to be thinking somewhere in their mind, well, if you want me to act that way, why don't you? Good question. But there is a growing number of people who are now coming not only to understand what is being said, but to commit themselves to applying what's being said in their lives. Thanks, frankly, not to throw roses at you, but to let you know, thanks to people like you. Because you're, you're doing that with, with, with this kind of a podcast. You're, you're putting, you're, you're what I call an idea hero. You know, there are a lot of people who will not agree with very much of what we've been saying here on this program today. But that doesn't seem to bother you because you've decided to be an idea hero. You know, Galileo is my wonderful example of an idea hero. He had the timidity su to suggest in 1618 that the earth revolved around the sun. When the church taught, no, 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 the sun revolves around the earth. The earth is the center of the universe. God created humanity and its tone as the center of all existence. That's how special we are. This was the teaching of the church, and they condemned Galileo and put him under house arrest for the rest of his life because he dared to suggest that the earth actually revolved around the sun based on his scientific calculations. But he had to be an idea hero to even say such a thing. Now, it's, it's true that the, that the church, the Catholic church, apologized uh, for the mistake they made with Galileo. 350 years later. Took them a while. 350 <laughs> years later, the Catholic Church yeah. apologized and removed its condemnation of Galileo and suggested that he may have gone home to heaven after all, because it turned out he was R-I-G-H-T. But it takes an idea hero yeah. to speak truth. So true. When when no one wants to hear it. Yeah. And we still unfortunately have some remnants of that self-centeredness. You know, I mean it's still some there. remnants. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just taken a different form now, we you know, with social media and things like that. I think that's really fueling the the ego and the self-centeredness. And I think we do need more idea heroes and books like yours really deal with that. So yeah, I mean, I also want to thank you for continuing to to bring this message out there because we we really need it, especially the newer, the younger generations. Well, thank God for you, Celine, as I said a minute ago for being an idea hero and being willing to say, you know what, I'm going to put this kind of stuff out there, yeah. whether people agree with me, even knowing ahead of time that people may not agree, that many people may not agree with what you're placing into the world. Good job. Nice work. Well, thank you. I'm inspired by spiritual leaders like you. I don't consider myself, thank you, to be a spiritual leader. But I will give myself the <laughs> you, title. You of, are now. <laughs> Where you're a leader, that's for sure. 
you know, I would call myself a messenger. I, a I messenger. brought a message. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, Neil, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your love, and your profound insights with us today. Um, I, as I said, it's much needed in the world right now, and I hope it reaches as many people as possible. And uh, I just want to let everyone know, for those who are listening, I mean, there's just so much to unpack in this book, and I encourage you to get it, to get a copy of it so that you can soak it all in. Uh, I Neil, promised I would tell them. Yes, I, I was going to say the, the, the link for, for the book. If, if, you, if you would like to receive a copy of this book in manuscript form, the author's manuscript, you know, not a hard copy, not a physical copy, but if, you're, if you'd like to read it on your computer, I'll send you my author's manuscript at no cost whatsoever. To send me a request, just say, Neil, please send me a copy of The God Solution. And I'll actually send you that, actually two books, The God Solution and The Essential Path, the two latest writings that have emerged from my mind. And you send it to, you send your request to neil at neildonaldwalsh.com. Now, you know, the internet is unforgiving. One letter out of place. I will add the link. I will add the link to the description. So it's got to be spelled exactly the way my name is on the cover of the books. So, But if you send me a note, neil at neildonaldwalsh.com, please send me the book you talked about on Celine's podcast, and I'll send it right back to you. It'll be on your computer, lickety-split. Perfect. Thank you, Neil. That's so generous of you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.